0: Alright, well this morning we will be in Luke chapter 18, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 8. You can find our passage on page 877 in the Pew Bible. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. will be reading from the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And will he not give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give them give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. The life is diff- full of difficult things, but it's nice every once in a while. You know, you ever you ever called? A, uh, I remember I was calling a while back. I I called a customer service uh, line because there's a defect in a lamp that we had ordered, and it's, I had to call this local company and and I called them, and it's just like and they were and the guy talked to him, and he was like, oh yeah, no problem, we'll replace it, and he was like, and you can keep the one, the one you got, and we'll send you a new one, and no worries, and and we just talked for 30 minutes just about life, and, <laughs> and it was just like. Okay, well, that was really easy. That was nice, you know. Just kind of, just kind of, just went out real smooth, and uh, it, you know, it's it's nice when the difficulties just get smoothed out for you. And, and and we have dealt with some very difficult parables in the Gospel of Luke so far, like the parable of the dishonest manager. Like, what what's going on? Is Jesus telling us to rip off people? Like, what's what, what is the deal with this parable? And and but uh, there's nothing easier than to go to a parable where Luke literally tells you what it means. He says, let me tell you why Jesus told this parable. Luke told them a parable to the effect that the disciples would continue to pray and not lose heart. You're like, okay, well, so then should we just end early today? Okay, we got it, right? (laughs) Um, Or should we move on to another text? Uh, Well, just because something is simple doesn't mean it's easy. And also, clarity doesn't necessarily mean a lack of depth. And, and, and even as upfront and, and clear as this parable of Jesus is, uh, there's, the, Jesus still has a surprise for us right at the very end. And, uh, uh, and, and further, we, we need to think through, like what does it actually mean to always pray and not lose heart? Why would we always need to pray? And what might cause us to lose heart. Add to that to the reference that he just throws in there right at the end about the son of man. And, and, and shows us that this is actually, uh, this parable he tells them is actually the conclusion to chapter 17. To the section that he was teaching about earlier about the son of man and his, and his coming that is going to be sudden. And it's going to bring judgment. And, so, and Jesus relates all of this. To an application of prayer. So we're going to first consider the parable itself this morning. And then secondly, we're going to consider, consider the meaning of the parable. And then third, what I'm calling the turn in the parable. So there's also an outline of the sermon on the back of your, uh, on the back of your bulletin as well. And so let's consider the parable in verses 2 through 5. And uh, I don't know why I thought of this, but I was just thinking, a judge and a widow walk into a parable. All right? I don't know it's because I'm the son of a comedian, uh, but I just tend to think of jokes. Uh, but, but a judge and a widow walk into a parable. And, and the basic requirements here are, are, are it, for a judge are actually laid out back in the, in the book of Deuteronomy and in various parts of the Jewish law. Uh, but specifically, uh, the, the judge was to, was, to be, uh, was to be one who feared God. And also was not to be one who was a respecter of persons, um, but in a different way than Jesus refers to here. So a, a judge was often the, the last stop for someone who was powerless to go to for justice, especially if they're being you know, defrauded by their neighbor. And so given the amount of power the judges wielded in that position uh, as this like last stop for justice... You want someone in there who realizes that they are accountable to God for every judgment they render. That ultimately they're going to answer to God for these things. Now it's saying that the judge was not to be a respecter of persons. It's not to say, well, Jesus says this judge was not a respecter of persons. Well, in the Old Testament, what that meant was, is that he was not to be a respecter of persons in terms of their status in society. And, uh, and just give justice to them automatically because they're rich, or give them automatic justice because they're poor. But he was actually to consider the facts of the case, and to render a just verdict. Uh, more, more than likely, a, a judge uh, you know, who doesn't fear God in the way that Jesus refers to here, mean, I mean, doesn't, doesn't fear God, he, and he's not a respecter of persons, means he doesn't care who bribes him, he just wants a bribe. Right? He's not a respecter of persons. I don't care if you're poor or rich, but as long as you give me enough money, I'll rule in your favor. And so it's, it's so justice can be bought for the right price. And so, and so even accounting for that though, the, 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 the Old Testament law said that, uh, that a judge was to have a particular concern for giving justice to orphans and widows. Why? Because God is particularly concerned with orphans and widows. Why is that? Because they're helpless. Because they're powerless. They don't have economic means. Now the widow here is presented to us as the picture of helplessness. Now a widow in a biblical context is not merely someone whose spouse died. This uh, This would be a woman whose husband had died and she was left destitute. A true widow, according to the Apostle Paul, was a woman who had no other family to care for her, and she was also too old to remarry. And so a widow here, in the superlative sense, is is an older woman who's broke, doesn't have any resources, doesn't have any family members. If she doesn't have anyone to help care for her, she's going to die. That is the true picture of the biblical widow. And so, and so she, and so as such, she can't defend herself against her neighbor who is apparently uh, stealing from her. He's doing something to her, and she wants justice. Uh, uh, commentators speculated, and they're likely right. I mean, in this case, in this scenario, probably the only thing of value that she would have is land. And in the ancient world, you didn't have land surveyors and, you know, things like that Things like that to be able to, uh, you know, in land records to go back and say, okay, here's the picture of the property lines. You didn't have any of that. You had property markers. And there was rules in the law against you don't move the property markers because that's against the law. But you could just go out and physically just kind of move it and be like, okay, yeah, this is, this is, this is mine now, Right. So that's possibly what's happening. Whatever the case is, though, she's seeking justice and the judge has denied her. And it, but she keeps coming to him again and again and again, saying, give me justice, give me justice. And you're like, I feel like I've done that on the customer service phone, on the phone line. <laughs> seeking justice again and again when I have to call. But eventually the judge says that even though he doesn't care about God, he doesn't care about justice. Simply out of pure self-interest, he's going to give this woman what she deserves. And, and, and now, for one thing we can say, uh, the judge is honest, right? He knows who he is. Uh, he may have refused her, uh, possibly waiting, hoping that she would give him a bribe. But as one commentator noted, she, uh, the widow paid in the only currency she had, persistence. And this, re- and this reminds us immediately with what follows that even a broken clock can be right twice a day. Even an unrighteous judge can do what is right, even if he does it for the wrong motives. He says that the only reason he is giving her justice is because she keeps bothering him, and she won't stop. In fact, he says he's going to give her justice so she won't beat him down with her persistence. Literally, that verb means to give a black eye. And that led one commentator to write that he was afraid she was going to physically beat him up. I was like, I don't think he's going to afraid she's going to beat him up. It's a little silly. Um, but... But we see this but we see this kind of thing all the time, like courts and authorities can make the right decision, but for the wrong reason and and we 're grateful that they came to the right outcome, even though we acknowledge problems in their reasoning and also that may trouble us for even future cases down the line if the reasoning is really bad because that can be exploited, but it also reminded me of times where I, I grew up in Southern California, and, um, and, uh, and my dad especially worked in, like, these really awful places. Uh, um, I mean, literally, he worked in the places that were rapped about in, in like, gangster rap in, like, the 90s, okay? That's, those are the places he was working in, in, like, Inglewood, <laughs> where it was just, like, notoriously deadly gangs. And he was like, I'm going to go manage a circuit city there. That's what I'm going to do. So, uh, and so, uh, and so he's, uh, and so, uh, but this, these dangerous places. And it, it, but sometimes these gangs would, they weren't just violent. Sometimes they would actually function and do just things. They would go like beat somebody who, you know, beat somebody up who was really bad. Or they might give food to the needy or something like that. And they would do some good things as well because they were almost like community police, but they were super violent. And, and it's not in defending gangs at all. But simply pointing out that even some of the worst gangs could do good from time to time. Right? Even a broken clock can be right, to de- right twice a day. Even an unrighteous judge can do the right thing sometimes, even for the wrong reasons. And so we have this parable, and we can already see where Jesus is headed here. And so we'll jump into verses 6 and 7, where Jesus gives us the meaning And in the meaning, we come across the power of the argument. It's a relatively uh, regular biblical way of arguing. Uh, It's this way of how, it's called the how much more argument. They'll take an example, you know, if this is how this is, then how much more? They'll say, you know, is God going to do this or whatever? And so that's what Jesus is doing here. He doesn't state those words, how much more, but it's a comparison argument that he's making here between the judge and, and God. If an unjust judge can do what is right, even for the wrong reasons, sometimes will God, who is absolutely holy and just, do much more than him? If, God, if, if, if this judge, who, who cares nothing for justice, can do what is right, how much more will the God who hates injustice Who hates dishonest scales. I mean even if we go back to it. Well what is justice? How do we define what justice is? And what we come back to is that human justice is ultimately derivative of divine justice. Divine justice is, is, is ultimately defined by God's own holy moral character. And he is light. There is no darkness in him. And so, if this judge can help this widow who cares nothing for her, how much more, Jesus says, will God help his elect, his chosen ones, whom he loves? How much more will God care for his church? You know, so many pictures are found in the scriptures that picture God as a loving shepherd. Caring for his flock. A loving husband. Jealous for his wife. A loving mother. Nurturing her baby child. A, a father who protects and provides for his children. We could go on. And these pictures are in the Old Testament. They're in the New Testament. They're all over the place. I'm mean, just think of the, you know, Psalm 23. The, you know, one of the most favorite texts uh, anywhere. Who loves his people More than God? Will the wicked outdo God when it comes to justice? If this wicked judge can do justice, how much more will God bring justice to the earth when he comes to judge? How much more will God defend his church? No doubt that he will. Jesus says he will give justice to her and he will do so speedily. That is, when judgment comes. It will be sudden, swift, and full of divine wrath for evil. It will not be lacking in any sense. I mean, it, it conjures up images. Uh, the widow here conjures, conjures up images of, of Revelation. Where the martyr standing for the throne saying, How long, O Lord, before you do justice for what was done to us? It, and he says, it's coming soon. It will come quickly and swiftly. And so this leads us to consider the church in, a, in, a, in, in this parable as a widow like church. God's people are presented out throughout the scriptures with weakness, with vulnerability. Hope often in the, in, the, in the scriptures for God's people hangs by a thread. If you read the stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, because, and and, I mean, first of all, you realize you're like, wow, our, our heritage of faith is dependent on these looney tunes. Alright? And then, and then you go through and you kind of, oh, and then you keep going through. And then you're like, well, David's pretty good except for the whole Bathsheba murder adultery thing. And then Solomon, the, Mr. Wise, goes off the rails. Things go, things split up. The Babylonian exile, Assyrian exile. And then things just kind of fade into darkness and silence into the Roman era. And then all of a sudden there's this burst of light with the coming of the Saviour. All right, but, then, uh, but then what happens after Christ returns and the church is spread? Persecution. And on and on it goes. And the church has wrestled with persecution and corruption and just watering down throughout the generations. Yet. And so, and so, and so God says, and so Jesus is saying, reminding us here, He is faithful. That the church will always be a widow-like church because if the judge is to be compared to God then the then the widow is to be compared to the church he says the elect of God his chosen ones the church is often helpless having injustices perpetrated Upon her, we we see this in the rise of hostility toward Christians in the church today. Uh, just recently, uh, um, uh, students at the Christian a Christian University in Arizona were banned from being student teachers in the local county public schools because the university had a uh, upholds biblical sexual ethics. And, and and so now the county is being sued, and, and no doubt they will very likely be forced to rescind their decision. And and look, we we do have excellent religious protections in our country, but at the end of the day, it's a fairly shallow comfort. Because the question is, is how long? How long? And it may be longer than other countries. It may be more than other countries, and we'd be grateful for those. But if we just put our comfort in the fact that they can't change the Constitution until they do, (laughs) right? So... But we also don't have to go far outside the U.S. to see what happens to Christians in places where there aren't those legal protections, and where, where the, or or those legal protections aren't enforced. They're on the books, but they just don't do them. And so we support a child uh, who who lives. Um, in, he's sixteen years old now. He lives in Burkina Faso. And so if you're looking at the elephant ear of Africa, it's kind of on the it's kind of on the you know it goes like this. He's kind of on this part right here. Okay, it's a little little country. Burkina Faso has been war torn for a while. Two million people have been displaced um, in that country. Thankfully, um, thankfully, Basile is not one of those, or, or his family. But one Christian did share her story, her name's Sarah, about how terrorists came into her village at the same time of her wedding. And the terrorists took the pastor and five other men behind the church, shot them, took their wedding gifts, and burned the church down. Sarah and her husband were able to escape, But in the coming months, food and work were so hard to come by that when she gave birth to their first child, he was stillborn and he died. And the question is who will give Sarah justice? Will the courts of Burkina Faso give her justice? Will the Hague, who goes after war crimes, eventually, and are they going to care about some Christian who is wronged in Burkina Faso? No. But her God will. Our God will. And he will do so with all the fury those crimes deserve. There are injustices perpetrated against Christians even in our own country, You may be one. You may be tempted to believe that the wicked will just continue to prosper. That injustice will continue to prevail. But do not be deceived. When the son of man comes. He will bring the fury of divine wrath. For every injustice. That's why they call it the great and terrible day of the Lord. It's a great and terrible day. For wickedness. It's a great day. For his people and this brings us to the turn the turn involves both verse 1 and verse 8 because clearly this this parable is teaching us to pray and so the first thing we can say here is that jesus is telling us here to endure in prayer and and jesus knows there are things that happen which cause us to struggle with prayer There are hardships, afflictions, injustices that may discourage us from praying. But why else would Jesus tell us this parable about enduring in prayer to not lose heart unless we might be so discouraged by life's circumstances that we would lose confidence in our God. That we would grow silent. You know, part of the reason, uh, one of the things we're doing is going through the Book of Judges, uh, and and we haven't gotten to the really dark parts yet. But one of the problems about the cycle of violence and idolatry, and then crying out to the Lord as they go through it, they go through it, but eventually, the, the the people of God just stop crying out to the Lord for deliverance, and that's when things just go black. And so, and so we know. We know that life is hard. Jesus knows that life is hard. Jesus, the suffering servant, knows what men can do. And so there, and so there are many reasons that, that, that I have heard personally, that I've even taught about why we should pray. You know, you've heard, it. sometimes you, maybe you've said it, you know, praying makes me feel better. Uh, praying, you know, God hears me pray. Uh, uh, God, it's, it's the one thing I can do in this situation is pray. And so, it feels like I can at, at least do some things. So there's a variety of reasons we can pray. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, and, and John Calvin even said that, that prayer is the lifeblood of the Christian. But have you ever considered that a reason to pray, to not give up praying, is because the judgment of God is coming? Not as a threat, but as an encouragement to pray because God's justice is certain. And to let that fuel your prayers, not in anger, not in wrath, but to know that God will do what is right. And to lift up to him these injustices, knowing that help is on the way. And so in, in, in connection with this, and and. This exhortation to, to endure in prayer. We have at the very end, uh, in verse 8, uh, uh, what I'm just calling the turn here, which encourages us not only to endure in prayer, but also to endure in faith. Because Jesus, at the very end of this parable, turns the whole thing on its head. Because he highlights that the question we, we, that we wrestle with is not the question that we should be asking. Because many people are asking, will God give justice? Or why is God delaying in bringing justice? Will God defend his church? But the question that that Christ says is is not whether or not will he bring justice, but will he find people trusting him when he does bring justice? Because it is coming. But will the Son of Man find faith on earth? Justice is coming, no doubt. But will there be faith? The point here is not to throw your salvation into doubt. But to clarify that if there is a question, it is not on God's follow through with justice. And so, and, and so if, this is, if this is not about stirring doubt in us, this is about encouraging us to take heart That even if we don't understand when or the why right now. That God will right every wrong in this world. Every wrong that has been done. Every wrong that is being done. And every wrong that has yet to be done. Jesus went to the cross. And God poured out His justice. For your sin and my sin upon His beloved perfect Son. He's already given some justice. We talk about the already, but not yet. He's already poured out His wrath for sin, for you and for me, upon His Son, Jesus. Jesus died. He was raised for our life. He ascended into heaven. And when He comes, He will bring the rest of God's justice for all those who... Who do not trust in Him. All those who are saying, I am, I, am going, I am not going to entrust Christ to receive God's wrath for me. I am going to take God's wrath upon myself and bear the cost of my sins. And So at the end of the day, the question is not whether God is just or whether God will do what is right. Although it's not wrong to wrestle with those things. You're not a bad person, a bad Christian, if you wrestle with those things. That's okay to wrestle with them. You should wrestle with them. You should be upset by horrible things that are going on in the world. We ought to feel those things. And to, and to weep for things. To pray for people. To pray for the persecuted church especially. But knowing that God will pour out His furious wrath. His perfect Holy justice on every sin and every evil ever done. Again, the question comes, will you receive the wrath of God for your sin in yourself? Or will you trust Jesus to receive it for you as he did on the cross? That's the question that you need to answer. The certainty of God's final justice in the return of Jesus Who is the Son of Man strengthens our resolve to pray, to pray for ourselves, to pray for for the church, to pray for sinners to come to faith, and to be forgiven of sin just as we are, and even to pray for God's justice to come and to be and to right the wrongs of this earth. Jesus will come as we like to confess. One day to judge the living and the dead. Therefore, let we who have entrusted ourselves to Christ. Who have been cleansed by the precious blood of the Savior. Always pray and not lose heart. Because He is coming. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You. That in Jesus we have a faithful Savior. That we have a Savior who is not slow to respond. Even though we may not understand, we may not, feel, we may not like the timing, we, we may cry out like the psalmists do, how long, O oh Lord? Because we yearn for relief. We yearn for the return of Christ. We yearn for evil to be removed from the world. And Father, we do pray that we pray for justice to be done more often in our country and in the world. We pray for improvement to, the, to human justice. Because it testifies to your justice. But Lord, we know at the end of the day, human justice pales in comparison to yours. So we do pray, Father, for your kingdom to, be, to come, for your will to be done, for your justice to come. And Lord, we do not pray that with that arrogant attitude as if we are just in and of ourselves we prayed as those who have been forgiven of our own sins and wickedness, which deserve the wrath of hell, but who have been forgiven by the blood of Christ and all by faith in His name. And Lord, we pray for more to repent and trust. But in the end of the day, Lord, we pray for Christ to come, for the Son of Man to come and to find faith on the earth.